The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. had ever preached in this way before. In fact, we know from the end of the from the end of the sermon if you just want to cast a glance down to the the very last phrases of chapter 7 verses 28 and 29 says and when Jesus finished these sayings the crowds were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching because his teaching uh, was one with authority it was not as their scribes and so Jesus has this uh, incredible multitude around him he begins to teach them he he begins to teach them in uh, in a fashion in a template that almost every uh, preacher has used since that time and and that is something even used in public speaking he he hooks them in his introduction with the concept of blessing and happiness. This was very different than what the scribes always did. The scribes uh, spoke of the law and then the curse that would come if you broke the law, the, the destruction in your life. And while that is true, Jesus started with the imprint on your soul that has a deep desire for the blessing of God and happiness. And, and so they're, they're listening to uh, Christ Jesus as he preaches this. They're listening to God's plan for their lives, and many of them are hearing uh, the Word of God in, in a way that they've never heard it before. And he literally says, you're blessed if you do this, and you're blessed if you do this, and you'll be blessed if you do this, and then live as salt and light. And, and so here at this point of the sermon, we have to stop and consider that there are some who heard the sermon on that day, and there are many who have read it ever since, who immediately come to some wrong conclusions. And if you've been around any at all, if you've ever had any kind of gospel conversation with anybody at all, you you will have heard these false conclusions before. And so before we just turn our attention to uh, chapter 5 and verse 17, and that's where we'll be in just a little bit. First, I think it does us well to stop and consider the Sermon on the Mount myths. The idea that you you read this, you read this about blessing and happiness, and it's easy if you don't watch out, if you don't have a context. In fact, if we don't have the admonition of Jesus Christ himself beginning in verse 17, we could easily come to the wrong conclusions. And how easy Are these wrong conclusions? Well, as we go through them this morning, you will most likely know someone who believes the myth that we'll look at. Let's look at four of them. There are many other myths that people believe in when it comes to their relationship with God and the Word of God. But myth number one that no doubt many on that hillside on that day believed, and many believe to this day, is that happiness is our highest goal. Now remember, two weeks ago when we taught this, we taught, we taught the fact that this, this Hebrew word blessing, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. This Hebrew word bless, blessing, 
is combined with happiness. And it, it comes from a full understanding that there is no happiness outside of Christ Jesus. But sometimes then, because we would read this eight times, because we have these eight Beatitudes, we, we get the idea, and, and I think most in our land today would have the idea, well then, since God desires for me to be happy, then happiness becomes our highest goal. I've heard uh, many people over the years in conversation with them in a moment where I knew they were about to walk away from God's will for their lives. Maybe that was to walk away from a marriage that I knew they should stay in. Maybe it was to walk away from children that I knew they should continue to parent. Maybe it was to walk away from a church that had provided their discipleship and instruction and fellowship I've had so many people that were about to choose sin and walk away, and their justification was, well, I know this is okay with God because I know that God wants me to be happy. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. God desires for you to be happy. But whenever you make happiness your highest goal, you have in that moment determined that you will never achieve it. Very quickly, because we don't have time to go back and re-preach this, very quickly, look at this, just, just glance real quickly at these first four Beatitudes. Here's what I want you to see. If, if, if you get nothing else this morning, if you've got spiritual attention deficit syndrome, and you can't listen to the whole sermon, get this part, because this is the part that everybody misunderstands. Blessing, uh, happiness, is a byproduct. You don't You don't have it because you chase after it. You have it because you chase after, for instance, blessed are the poor in spirit. When you realize that you are impoverished spiritually and that you can't get to heaven on your own and you recognize that, then you're a step closer to happiness. Happiness or blessed are those who mourn. When you come to an understanding of your own sinfulness and you repent and mourn over that, you have moved a step closer to happiness. You don't achieve happiness because you chase happiness. You achieve happiness because you chase God's design. Blessed are the meek. We, we said this word meek is surrender. When you come to Christ and you come to the cross of Christ to surrender your life, you have moved towards happiness. Blessed are those, the fourth beatitude says, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What is our highest goal? To bring glory to God, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, if that's your goal in life, then happiness becomes yours, not because you chased happiness, but because it is the byproduct of knowing and walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, does God want you to be happy? Absolutely. Will you be happy when you chase happiness? Never. Happiness comes to you because you find Christ Jesus. There's a second myth that so many people in our world today believe. And some of them believe it. They Literally, they would say, well, no, I believe it because I've read the Bible. But they believe that receiving God's grace and blessing comes disconnected from the Law and the Prophets. Now, the Law and the Prophets, we're going to read in just a little bit. 
is uh, not just Jesus' name for the Old Testament, but a common name. The, it was used, uh, remember, when they only had the Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament, so they didn't call the Old Testament the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament yet. They called it the Law and the Prophets. And that's what you and I today would call the Old Testament. And so there are many today who know that you can find John 3.16 in the New Testament. You can find the Roman road in the New Testament. The story of the gospel is in the New Testament. And so they start to believe that receiving God's grace and blessing comes disconnected from the Old Testament. Several years ago, I preached a sermon series entitled, If I Had One Sermon to Preach. Some of you were here at that time. And the the series was, If I Had One Sermon to Preach from Every Book in the Bible. And so I preached 66 sermons, one sermon from each book of the Bible. Well, 39 of those sermons came from the Old Testament. And I had so many people say to me during that sermon series, I've, I've never really heard Old Testament before. I, or I, I didn't think I would like the Old Testament, or I, I didn't realize the Old Testament had any instruction for us. And yet, the New Testament tells us that the Old Testament was written for our instruction. In fact, if you read the New Testament, and many of you have new versions of the Bible that have the quotations from the Old Testament either in bold print or indented, you will discover that most of your New Testament is the quotation and the explanation of the Old Testament. You can never understand the gospel. You can never understand the new covenant. You can't understand it if you don't understand that all of it is God's word. There's a third myth that exists in our world today, and that is that since we're not saved by keeping the law, the law has no real importance in our lives. Now, you and I have come to a certain understanding that we are saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. Isn't it good to know that today you didn't have to bring a lamb or a goat uh, to be slain for your sin? Isn't it good to know that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world? That Jesus went to the cross to die for your sin. You want to know how great I believe God's love for you is? If you were the only one on this planet that ever sinned, Jesus would have come to die for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He calls you by name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. If there were 99 sheep that never sinned and only one went astray, the scripture says Jesus would go looking for the one. And so we have this We have this love, we have this salvation, we have this gospel that is preached to us, but how is it that we know that we need Jesus Christ? It's because we couldn't keep the law. The law has a purpose in our lives. The the scripture says, uh, uh, honor your father and mother, obey them. And every single one of us in the room, at some place and point in time, disobeyed our parents. And, and what do we realize? We realize what James says. If you break the law at any one point, you, you've really broken it at every point. And so the law says don't steal, and each of us have stolen. And the law says uh, that we are to uh, keep God uh, holy, and we are to honor Him above everything else. And every one of us have committed idolatry. Every one of us have put something before God at some point in our lives. And so the law reminds us that there is no avenue to heaven for me by my own righteousness. I I can't get there by being good enough. I, I, I can be better than you. In fact, looking at you, I I am better than most of you. 
but you are not my standard, neither am I your standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. The law, perfection is the standard. And the old covenant is a reminder to us that we have to come to an understanding of our sinfulness in order that we might have salvation. There's a fourth myth that I want to talk about this morning, and that is that the avenue to happiness is found in relaxing God's expectation of righteousness. Now, if any of these myths applied to modern America, if any of these myths applied to the modern culture in which we live in, certainly it's this one. There are many people today who really want heaven, And actually, they really want Jesus, and they want the forgiveness of sins, but they would really like to redefine what is a sin. We live in a world today where we just just no longer believe that living together before you're married is a sin. We we really don't believe that. We we no longer believe that God's perfect design for marriage is heterosexuality. We we really don't want to believe that any longer. We, We no longer want to believe that that uh, there's just one way to heaven. We just want to believe that there are lots of ways and we're we're all going to kind of make it. And I I can continue in this vein for a long time because there are those all around us who want to relax this. The idea that there is a stringent, perfect law, that there is a perfect design. Well, you you find your way to heaven and I'll find my way to heaven. And, And we do that by relaxing the commands. And so there are so many today and, and that's really what they desire. If I could if I can relax three or four commands, then I can feel okay about myself. And then that's certainly the, the way to happiness. And they'll even point sometimes at religion and go, oh religion's just so legalistic and they're so tight and there all these do's and don'ts and no one can do that. And the answer is that's right, no one can do that except Jesus. And that's why we turn our lives to him. So so I give those to you really as an introduction. And I'll, I'll bet that you were able to identify uh, in these myths people that you know who believe one or two or three or, or maybe all four of them. And as such, their desire for happiness is clouded because they're outside God's template for happiness. And that's what brings us to verse 17 in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus has taught now, uh, here's blessing. Eight times. Here's how you receive blessing. Here's how the happiness of God comes. He's told us that we're to be salt and light. But if we don't watch out, we would think, well, the salt of the earth is to spread happiness. The light of the world is to uh, drink a Coca-Cola with a polar bear at Christmas time. We'll join the UN and we'll all live happily ever after. And so here at this point of the sermon... Jesus really shakes people up. And this is, uh, by the way, perfect template for preaching once again. He's hooked them with the introduction. He's got to salt and light, and some of them are just about to quit listening to them. And this shakes everybody up. They thought they were hearing something so revolutionary that they were about to toss out the Old Testament when Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a 
dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, verse 19, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But, but whoever does them, whoever keeps them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, uh, three times here in just these verses, Jesus has used the kingdom of heaven. Let's just be reminded that he used it back in the very introduction. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about being called the sons of God in verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the kingdom. The the series title for the whole year has been kingdom living. We belong to the king. How are we supposed to live? So he's, he's talking about kingdom living, but here he stops us. Literally, he stops us cold in our tracks. In a world that we live in, that's greatest doctrinal theological statement is, I deserve to be happy. Therefore, anything, something like the Old Testament, that would get in my way of happiness, something that tells me to do something that I don't want to do, is in my way. I want to to pull apart from that. Jesus says something astounding. And now I want to turn your attention to four Sermon on the Mount truths, things that Jesus says really here from verse 17 to verse 20. And the first thing that we really see, and the first thing we really understand from Jesus himself is that the Word of God is eternal in power and effect and the relevance in our lives. All of the Word of God, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, is relevant for your life. I, I'm going to do this very, very quickly. It's not going to come up on the screen. I just want you to listen to it. If you want to scratch the verses as I give them, you can. But listen to what God says about His Word. In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 5, every word of God proves true. In Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, And the words of God shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. From Psalm 33 and verse 4, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all of His work is done in faithfulness. From the 105th Psalm and verse 8, He remembers His covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. In the New Testament, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In John chapter 14, in verse 24, the words of Jesus himself, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear are not mine, but the Father who sent me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those that are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
In Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To the young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. And from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and it's powerful and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce even to the division between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. These are just a few of literally hundreds and hundreds of verses that talk about God's word. And so we should not be surprised that Jesus Christ said, I've come not to abolish the law, not to disconnect us or unhitch us from the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill it. He goes on and says, not an iota or a dot. The way we would say that in the English language is every T will be crossed, every I will be dotted. This is literally what he's saying. It all stays intact until It's completely fulfilled. This is the work that God is doing. Now, now just imagine this. We we have Jesus, and he's telling us, I can tell you how to be happy. This is how he begins his sermon. I can tell you how to be happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Well, I want to be happy, but I got to be poor to be happy. Happy are, are, are those who mourn. Well, I want to be happy, but I don't want to go to a funeral every day. Happy are those who are meek. Well, I thought I'd be happy if I was in charge of everything. And so happiness does look very different than what the world longs for. But when they realize, even with that, when you find God, when you find salvation, when you find the forgiveness of sins, when you find that, happiness just attends it. That is the joy of the Lord. And so we know that. We know the work of God. We know the will of God. We know God's plan of salvation because we have the Word of God. If we didn't have the Word of God, you wouldn't know that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And so it's because God revealed Himself. And the Word of God, John chapter 1 tells us, God's words aren't like our words. Uh, We treat our words different than God does. God says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We, we, he, he, he continues to say, my, my word is who I am. We always say, no, my, that's not what I meant to say. You see, we, we often divorce ourselves from our words. We say, no, I didn't say that, or I said that and I didn't mean it, or I, okay, I lied. But God never says that. God never lies. God always fulfills every promise. He always fulfills his word and so jesus says the word of god is eternal it's effective and it's relevant to our lives there's a second sermon on the mount truth here that comes right out of these verses and that is that christ came to fulfill god's word not to set it aside as unnecessary so what do we find in the old covenant we find a covenant we find a law we find a law that's given that you and i cannot live up to you can't reach the expectation the righteous holy expectation of god you can't meet that the the depravity of my soul the sin of my own heart the wickedness that i've chosen the times when i knew right and wrong and I willingly, knowingly chose wrong, 
I have proven that I can't meet God's holy, righteous expectation. But Jesus did. Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't just fulfill it in spirit. He fulfilled it perfectly as God the Father gave it and intended it. Oh, we discover along the way that the Pharisees had convoluted the law. We discover along the way of Jesus' story that they had perverted the law. The the law says uh, don't work on the Sabbath. They took that to mean you can't even... You couldn't even go out to your garden and and grab a tomato for lunch because you were harvesting. You were working on the Sabbath. They decided that if you you went on a leisurely walk with your spouse and it was more than a mile, you had worked on the Sabbath. They had created all these extra interpretations so that when Jesus' disciples walked through a field and they took some of the grain, they said, oh, you violated the law. Jesus made it clear to them that they didn't really understand the law. They had perverted it to create a a false sense of righteousness. But Jesus himself was perfect. And why is that so important? Because only someone who was perfect could go to the cross to die for us. Imagine if I had this much love for you that I was willing to go to the cross to die for you. I, I can honestly say I don't know if I love you that much. But even if I did... I'd have to be perfect. God would say, I'd say, God, I could say to God, I, I, I want to go to, I go to the cross and die for Rick. God would say, well, that's wonderful, Paul, that you love Rick that much, but who's going to die for your sin? Do you understand why Jesus had to be perfect? And then why did he have to be God? Because then he could not only die for one of us, because he was infinite God, he could die for all of us. That's why he fulfilled the law. So we discover something else here in this passage. We discover a third truth, and that is that compromising God's truth for perceived happiness or or, or anything else takes us outside of kingdom design. Compromising God's truth. Whenever we decide, I'm going to compromise the Bible. I, 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 this is where I'm not going to follow God's design. Whenever we do that, it takes us away from happiness. It takes us away from fellowship with God. It takes us away from the joy of the Lord. It takes us away from walking with God like Enoch did. It moves us out of fellowship. It, it hinders the relationship. Whenever we choose that, it, it's always hurtful to us. And so why would we compromise God's word? And yet we do continually, do we not? How many times have you said, well, it was just a little white lie. And we're compromising the word of God. How many times we say, well, yeah, I stole it from the boss, but he didn't pay me my overtime last week. And we we compromise our lives. How how many times we say, hey, I want to share with you a prayer request, and it's just gossip disguised in a prayer request. How many times do we compromise the Word of God? Oh, yeah, I'll I'll tithe as soon as I win the lottery. We, We find ways to rationalize our own lives, and we compromise God's Word. So many Christians know Christ They've received the forgiveness of sins, but they don't experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. They don't experience the joy of the Lord. They don't experience the blessing that God wants to pour in their lives because they're over here living in compromise. So interesting, in yesteryears, 
during times of great, great revival. There's so many times when God's people literally had bonfires. Have you ever read any of these revival experiences? And they brought their, they brought their uh, bad books and magazines or their witchcraft books and magazines. They, 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 they brought their liquor and their booze. They, they, they brought drugs and they just threw it on the fire. And revival happened in those places and in those churches because God's people who were playing church and compromising with God finally decided, I'm going to give Christ my whole life. I'm going to make him my Lord and Savior. And so here we, we discover that Jesus is calling us to the highest calling. And now that we have Christ Jesus in our lives, now that we have the Holy Spirit in us, we do have the capability of keeping the law. Now we do have the capability of being righteous before God. There's a last truth that I want to call your attention to this morning, and there's so much more here. I just run out of time. But Jesus finishes this passage when he says in verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches others to do the same will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning, as a last truth, I want to say to you, with regard to God's word, and that's really what this part of the sermon is about, with regard to God's word, everyone is a teacher. The only question that remains is, what are you teaching? You see, you uh, are making decisions in your own life. You're making decisions. Will, will I relax this part of God's Word in my life? Will I compromise this part of God's Word in my life? Am I really going to be obedient to everything that God asked me to do? And however you choose to live, by those choices, you are exemplifying. You are, you are, someone is looking at your life. Someone is looking at your life as an example, whether they're a, an unbeliever or a believer. An unbeliever is looking at you saying, is this, is this Jesus stuff really real? Oh, no, he just sins whenever he wants. No, it's not real. Or the, or the young believer is looking at your life saying, is, what does Christian maturity look like? Oh, I see. You don't always have to do everything God commands. You're teaching someone by the choices that you make. You're teaching someone by the life that you live. Someone's looking at your life. Not every gospel is the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes it's the gospel of Barbara and Susan and Steve and Paul. There is a gospel according to your life. There are people who are looking at you, and you, whether you want to be the teacher or not, you most certainly are the teacher. For many of us, we've got kids and grandkids and great-grandkids who are looking at our lives, do they see sound biblical teaching? It's once been said that everybody preaches a sermon and some people use words. There's a sermon in your life. You're teaching something. And maybe it's time that you once again acknowledge that Christ came not to abolish the law, it's not for you to relax certain commandments and say, you know what, I don't really believe that part of the Bible, so I'm not going to do that. It's not for you to say, I think my best avenue for happiness is outside of God's design. It's for you to trust Him. 
like you did at the foot of the cross the very first time when you came and said, here's my life, here's my sin. The scripture says we can do that again. We can come again and lay down our sin. We can lay down the world. We can lay down the flesh. And maybe we need to, lie, we need to lay down there the myths that we have started to believe about God's word. So Jesus, right here in the sermon, literally at, still at the very beginning says, uh, there is a way of happiness. There is a design God imprinted on your soul. It comes through blessing and right relationship with God. And that doesn't happen outside of God's word, but we know it through God's word. And he calls us to it again. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed I wonder this morning if you've ever given your life to Christ. Has there ever been a time when you asked Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? And now you realize that's why Jesus came. You and I couldn't meet the rightful, righteous fulfillment of the law. So Jesus did it for us. And he went to the cross that we might have the forgiveness of sins. Many, most in this room have already done that. Most of you have already given your life to Christ. But I wonder along the way, have you made a little compromise here and a little compromise there? Along the way, have you decided, oh, that's too stringent? Along the way, have you decided, I'm not going to expect that of myself. I mean, after all, I'm saved by grace. I don't have to do that. And now you're wondering, why is it that my kids don't follow Jesus? Why is it that I don't have true happiness? Why is it that none of my uh, workers in my office want to receive Christ? And now you realize that you've been teaching the wrong thing by the choices that you've made in your life. So this morning, Jesus calls you to recommitment. He calls you to the cross once again by the power of His Word, by the, by the renewing of His blood, by the regeneration of His sacrifice. He calls you again to say, here's my life. Take it. I surrender it to you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many of you this morning would just say, you know, uh, Paul, I, I believe that. I, I, that's the life that I want. And I And I have lived it outside of God's design. And I, this morning, want to rededicate myself to these things in my life. And you just lift your hand and say, pray for me. I want to rededicate myself to these things. Yes, yes, yes. Any others? Yes. How many of you this morning would just say, Paul, I'm still on my journey. I'm I'm not yet to the place where I, I, I understand Christ or I want to give my life to him. But I'd like you to pray for me. You just say, Paul, pray for me. I'm not yet, not yet there. Yes, God bless you. But I, but I want to. Anybody else? God bless you. And how many of you this morning would say, Paul, I, I'm going to join you in praying that the Holy Spirit falls on us next Sunday. And I'll be here. I'll be here to be a part of that. How many of you? I'll be here. I'll be praying. Praying the Holy Spirit joins us next week. Father, you've seen us. You've seen our desires. You, you know everything about us. You know our hearts. Father, this morning, your word speaks to us with incredible power. We begin to recognize that if we just try to live the Christian life without your word, if we're not studying your word, if we're not living your word, then we're missing the very essence of what you've done for us. You've given us your word. You've revealed it to us. And Jesus has lived it out so that we might live the lives that would bring you glory and honor And now we discover that when we bring you glory and honor, we find happiness as well. So, Father, do this in us. Do this through us for your sake. And we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. And all of God's people said, Amen. By way of benediction, I go back to verse 16 in the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what Jesus said. 
let your light shine before others so that they can see your good works. You see, we are connected to the law. We are connected to God's righteousness so that they can see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is what God wants from our lives. This is why we meet for worships, why we meet in life groups, why we study God's words, why we go on mission trip, that we might give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.